Sure, it's cool to play a video game with one main character. But what if you had not one, not two, but, but three main characters? characters? Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week we're talking about the tri-protagonisted Grand Theft Auto V, a video game that came out nine years ago, yet still remains surprisingly relevant today. There's a ton to talk about with this one, so let's get into it. I'm Kirk Hamilton. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Jason Shire. Hello. Hello. It's us again. Oh, so friends. nice to see both of you. Here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Kirk coming live from San Francisco. <laughs> I am. I'm in. I was told to say that I am in my favorite niece's house mm. recording this. And you may or may not have heard them in the intro. We'll see if I record, <laughs> if I have them add something extra for the intro. So oh, that's fun. I think oh, maybe people exciting. probably did just hear them. So that was the unidentified voice you heard. That wasn't Maddie going through a vocal filter. <laughs> <laughs> that was my wonderful two nieces. I love the idea of having uh, children who wouldn't have been allowed to play GTA V, the game that is our topic yes. of the day, uh, introducing it and hopefully not describing it in, in it very is, specific yeah, terms. GTA V no. is quite quite the vulgar game, having quite yeah. the vulgar played game. a bunch of uh -huh. the <laughs> But hey. So that's what we're going to be talking about on this, our video game podcast that we make with support from listeners like you. Do you like Triple Click? Are you a fan of listener-supported media? Do you not like the fact that the same five big tech companies seem to be buying everything well? If that is, if you said yes to any or all of those questions, maybe you could become a Maximum Fund member. You could support independent creator-controlled media, and uh, you, you could support TripleClick as well, because that's how we support our show. So if you want to do that, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash join. You get uh, the good feeling of supporting a bunch of cool shows on the Maximum Fun Network, and you also get access to a bunch of bonus episodes from us and from other shows, but we, we make a lot of them. We make one every month. We have almost two years' worth at this point. This month, we're going to be talking about Die Hard, a movie that Maddie and I both like and that Jason has never seen, and that has quite a bit of video game lessons well, to, to be learned from Well, he has just seen it. We aren't yes, making him listen Jason, to us talk about it Jason having never seen Jason had never seen. Jason has right. now seen it. At last. But there are all kinds of things on all kinds of topics. So anyways, support our show, MaximumFun.org slash join. Yes. All I right. Jason, it. you have uh, you have something you wanted to share, a listener email. Yeah. So we got uh, a letter from a listener this week that I wanted to share before we jump into the show. So let me just start by reading this. This is from Nikita. Nikita says, hi, Jason, Manny, Kirk. Hope you're all doing well. Let me start by saying I've been your active listener for several years now. I started listening back when you were Kotaku split screen. Rarely missed an episode ever since. When you be moved to MaxFun and continued your amazing job at Triple Click, I immediately subscribed and became a MaxFun member to support your show. Aww. For all these Yay. years, listening to the three of you talking about games was like a warm blanket. felt almost like being in a room full of close friends. Your discussions were always something to me, whether it be clever insights, quirky observations, or just funny banter. Several times I recommended Triple Click to my friends and on social media as a quality podcast about video games. I'm also fond of the fact that you share the same progressive liberal views as I do. Hearing you talk about the women and LGBTQ representation in games and in mass culture in general always struck a chord with me. That being said, I want to ask you three a favor. I believe in your power to amplify the voices of those in need of being heard. And for me and a lot of people, this need is dire. I live in Ukraine and I'm a refugee that fled from my country's capital, Kiev, because of the unprovoked invasion started by Russia in February of this year. Our armed forces are holding off the aggressor, but the situation gets worse every day. The humanitarian ca catastrophe artificially created by the Russian forces in Ukraine will soon exceed the one created by World War II. Cities are being leveled into the ground. Millions of people are left without access to water heat and the roof over their heads. Hospitals, maternity wards, and civilian infrastructure are being shelled and civilians are being shot with no mercy. War crimes are committed by the occupying force relentlessly. Now, I know Ukraine is far away from the USA and we are fighting not only for ourselves and independence, but also for all of Europe and democratic values. We're fighting for a survival every day and every bit of help is most welcome. So I thought I might kindly ask you for some help. And then he goes on to ask uh, to say that basically the, their main goal is to uh, to persuade the USA and other Western countries to, to create a no-fly zone, which I don't think uh, TripleClick has the power to do. But we do have the power to offer a link that we can share to help in case people out there um, haven't yet contributed, haven't yet donated, yeah. um, and would like mm -hmm. to. We're going to share that link in the show notes. So go check that out um yeah i donated a bunch of money to ukrainian refugees a couple of weeks ago and would encourage anyone who has the means to do so 
as well. Yeah, same. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Nikita, for writing in and for listening to our silly show. It's nice to know (laughs) that you have that. Yeah, everyone out there. Shout out to everyone out there who's our listeners in Ukraine, of which we have a few. Um, Mm -hmm. Can't even imagine. Love and well wishes to all of you out there. Um, All right. Well, let's start with the show, shall we? Today, we are doing a What's the Deal with Grand Theft Auto Five, which is a fascinating game that originally came out nine years ago in 2013. Yeah, nine years ago. Sorry, everybody, nine. Um, but that's not, this that's week, not true. That can't be right. <laughs> this week it came to PS5 and Xbox Series X, which is why we wanted to talk about it. Um, GTA Five. I I had no idea that this was going to happen when it first came out all those nine years ago. It has sold more than 160 million copies and earned more than six billion dollars in revenue. 160 million. That's just a made-up number, Jason. I don't believe you know what's crazy about that number? You could sell, yeah. if you were any AAA game, you could, you could sell, sell 10% right? of that yeah. and yeah. it would be a, a phenomenal success. Um, making it the Good biggest Lord. entertainment property of all time. So we thought we'd say, hey, what's the deal with this game? What's up what with is yeah. the deal with GTA 6? So, you guys heard um, of this? Yeah, first of all, before we <laughs> before we dive into it, I'm curious to hear um, everybody's kind of like impressions of GTA or like our experiences with GTA over the years. So um, Kirk, why don't you start off? Because you were at Kotaku with me when GTA came out. Um, what's your kind of your your experience with GTA over the years? Yeah, I remember. It was I think it was the yeah, it was the first big Rockstar launch that I covered at Kotaku, which it's always a very dramatic thing covering a Rockstar game at launch. I remember there was it was very hard to get review copies of this game. I believe there were two copies that they sent us. Steven Totilla was reviewing it, and maybe we had one for our video team or something. So everyone was like in our Slack kind of agitating at Steven being like, "Okay, so what's it like? You know, what what's what's going on?" Um, and I do remember playing it on the Xbox 360 which was now two two game consoles ago which yeah, is two pretty consoles wild. Ago. Yeah. Wow. Um yeah, I mean, you know, it was it was a, a whole phenomenon. It was the kind of thing where I felt the same way about it as I felt about GTA 4 in a lot of respects. Obviously it's a very different game in a lot of ways, but I I liked the emergent part of it a little bit more than the story even though I was impressed by some of the narrative ambitions the game has just because you wouldn't think necessarily that that this kind of a game would would be going for kind of bigger stuff and they occasionally did. Um and uh it was just such a technological marvel that I think it it really still is a technological marvel in a lot of ways. I don't know that there are many games that have better sound design specifically than GTA V. Or better, like, interactive worlds, like, with pedestrians that react to you. There's not a lot Mm -hmm. of reactivity in other Yeah, yeah. The the depth... The depth of the illusion remains remarkable all these years later. So anyways, I've, I've played it on 360. I played it when it came out on PS4 in first person at 30 frames per second. I then played it on PC in first person at higher than 60 frames per second. I have not played it on PS5. I'm sure it's the same game. And I didn't really play that much GTA Online, though I've played some and I know we will talk about that. But yeah, that's my impression of the game. It's a game I've never loved in a like, I have this, think it's so great and love it, but it's also a game that I've played a ton of and just am very, you know, uh, aware of it as just this giant moment, this giant event, this ongoing thing, this huge, this huge game. So yeah, and you finished it right the first time you played. It. I did. I think I've only finished it once. It's so yeah. long. I got it's pretty far, I think, on PS4, but it's so friggin' long. Maddie, what about you? Have you played it? Played through it all? I've played it. I have never beaten GTA Five. Maybe this not is the surprising. year I give it a shot. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not. I, why? Why would you say it's not surprising? There's so many reasons it's not surprising it for me specifically on on. Right. to have not beaten it. Yeah, uh, if you're gonna beat a Rockstar game, go with Red Dead. It too, does. It wears say. out its but welcome yes. in a few different ways. We wouldn't say. wouldn't be that one. This game is very caustic and alienating and intense in a lot of other ways that are hard for me to separate from the game itself and from GTA as a franchise. I So my history, I have said I've played other GTA games before this one, and that's true. I always had friends who owned GTA. That was always my experience of GTA was, you know, lying on another person's couch and trading the controller and all of us coming up with the most horrifying things we could possibly do, because that's what you do in GTA. You break the 
law, or at least that's what me and my high school friends did in GTA was break the law. And that is also the association I had with GTA 5. Although the things about it that excited me then and still do are the multiple character system, the narrative, as Kirk said. I thought it was a missed opportunity at the time that all three characters were male antiheroes. And I still kind of think that. I feel like that was 2013 really was a time period of antiheroes. So we're, we're talking Don Draper. We're talking Booker DeWitt. We're talking Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. Yeah. Walter White. I mean, all that. But even the fact that I can compare Franklin to a television character is says something about the mainstay that GTA 5 is. And that's worth uh, complimenting, I suppose. But it's also a game that, despite being a cultural phenomenon, is... Uh, I'm good with never beating it. I don't know. I, <laughs> it's, uh, it's got a lot of things in it that I don't care for. It, it's a world that hates itself, and every yeah. character in it hates the world. And it's something I've noticed every time I go back to it. I'm like, God, this is so exhausting. And it's just... And unpleasant to hang out in. Yeah, it's and I very think that's, that's It's interesting that an open world game that you're supposed to spend so much time in is a version of basically L.A., I guess, that is deeply unpleasant. It's like the seediest, most disgusting parts of the world, just the Mm -hmm. worst people. And also people who are just survivors of horrific abuses and like drug problems and just marginalized in every way. Like that's, that's the world you're hanging out in and having fun question mark. (laughs) Well, so it's very much, it's so funny. 2013 was such a different world than now, but it's very much a product of gen Xers who have a nihilistic like viewpoint of the view. Like it's, it feels, it's very much like, so I played a couple hours this morning. I beat it in 2013 when it came out. Hadn't really played since then. So revisited today, um, this week on time PS5 capsule. for the first time in nine years. And it's really fascinating um, just how uh, the nihilism of it all and how it just feels like you're, I don't know, watching South Park or like watching mm. some other like satire that is just like everything is bad. It's point of view. This game's point of view is very much like everything is bad. And you're going Mm -hmm. around the world and like there's so much stuff that is just like trying to. So, okay, so you'll be driving somewhere and you'll flip on the radio and there will be some right wing Rush Rush Limbaugh impersonator, which like Mm -hmm. is is supposed to be a parody. But now in the day, (laughs) the days of post Trump and post parody just feels like it would be real. It would be something that would actually be said by Tucker Carlson. I mean, even then, I feel like it would was starting right. to get there. I mean, Fox News was a thing back then, you know, 2013, year before Gamergate, folks. Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't. Uh, yes, I mean, we were definitely seeing like the burgeoning stuff that we would see today. But also it just had that like carried over Gen X nihilism. And then so, OK, so you're driving somewhere. You'll hear that Rush Limbaugh parody on the radio. And then you'll see a garbage truck that says like dumping on your lawn and like has some other silly slogan. And then you'll see some <laughs> some Facebook parody. Uh, on your phone that is like some silly thing or like you'll get a pop-up that says like check out iFruit which is like apple iFruit I guess there's some homophobia in there too and it's just like trying to but who knows if there is or not I feel like part of that joke is like is it a homophobic slur if you want it to be it is but it's apple apple's a fruit you know like that's the whole game to me there is some like blatant transphobia a little later in the game but it's very much like it's a game that is just like this glee dancing like imp just throwing knives at everything it sees and it's so yeah if you attack everybody equally then like yeah right what are you really saying yeah yeah which is like i mean that's the type of thing that me as a teenager i would have been like hell yeah like that was Mm -hmm. that was i would have been all about that and then i kind of grew up and it's interesting it feels very much like a game for people who didn't grow up or people who are just like have that that kind of point of view that just today feels so antiquated and and that's just like from the world and story perspective. There's more to get into with the gameplay and the like that some of that stuff feels revolutionary still. But oh, as yeah. far as as far as that point of view. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean that point though about the world and the story and how exhausting it feels, which I totally feel too when I go back to it, is it does raise the interesting question of this is the most successful 
video yeah. game <laughs> slash entertainment property of all time. So like, what is it, you know, like what exactly is it? If not, I mean, it's partly that stuff. It's partly the tone. I do think there are a lot of people who just think these games are funny and don't think about it too much. But there's more, right? It's more than just that. So what is it that makes it so big? The success is, here's something notable. When you load up the game on PS5, the first thing you see is not like the story mode. The first thing you see is Grand Theft Auto Online. You have to like tab over to go to the story mode. Like GTA Online is what's in your face. That's what what made this game sold 160 million copies. There are people out there who just play GTA Online every single night and that's where they go to hang out with their friends. So mm-hmm. right. I think that's that's kind of I think you have to almost decouple the two and obviously a large chunk of those I'm sure have played the single player game as well, but I doubt it. I'd be very curious to see like how many of those even finished it. Yeah, yeah, it's funny, you know, so having played, I did some heists in GTA Online, which were pretty fun. I mean, there's a kind of a kludginess in general to GTA Online because this game was launched as a single player game that was intended to have an online you know, segment, but it was like at the dawn of the era of the service game, and they really developed it over the years into something that became this massive, fully, you know, essentially Grand Theft Auto MMO. It wasn't that at launch at all, and it's sort of gradually grown into what it is. But I've played some of it, and that tone, that sort of kind of juvenile, cynical, everybody sucks, it's dumb, let's just blow everything up, vibe works a lot better for an anarchic 16 player 32 player multiplayer game where you're all just running around a city blowing shit up than for a a story that is at least on some level trying to like thoughtfully explore fatherhood or whatever the hell you know this story is ostensibly doing so it does seem to fit better um the world you know because you're still seeing those jokes you're still hearing the radio stations when you're playing gta online and there are missions and quest givers they're characters from the main game it still has that same tone it just kind of fits better with a ridiculous you know uh, a ridiculous online game yeah i'm actually pretty familiar with gta online not from playing it but because um my coworker Cass marshall covers it constantly and i edit their stories a lot and Cass also outside work as a hobby that they disclose uh works like for free for one of these role play servers and it's fascinating to hear their stories about how these servers work and how wildly different and sometimes super inclusive and awesome those servers can be compared Mm. to what one might associate with gta 5 and all the things i just said because there are people who make mods obviously and then also create entire communities that just happen to be built on top of the framework of gta but then there's also like comedic communities that are sort of riffing on the idea of it like casted a story about a motorcycle gang that is in charge of an entire city and they basically act like an hoa like they make sure everybody's lawns look nice but like also they're a terrifying motorcycle gang and it's just this hysterical story where it's about like yes they are enforcing these rules about lawn care with blood but also the rules don't really matter and everyone is participating in this silly game together. And that, I think, is in the spirit of the best of GTA, which is the ridiculousness and, like, it's a video game. It's, like, the torture and the violence is supposed to be just playing around for fun. It's not supposed to be gritty and realistic in the way that I think of this campaign as having been presented in 2013, where it was like a serious gritty campaign (laughs) that tells a story of masculinity and drug deals gone horribly wrong. Or at least oscillates wildly between that and being like fully ridiculous, but does have some seriousness to it. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know if this ever really tried to be serious. I mean, I just did the mission. I'm sure you guys remember this, where you smoke, uh, a, you take a single hit of a joint and then you see aliens and you have to gun them down for like, yeah, like five minutes. Yeah. Um, well, aliens are canonically real in the GTA franchise. And just playing through the game. I mean, like one of the first things you see after the kind of flashback, it opens with a flashback of Michael faking his own death um, mm-hmm. after a bank heist gone awry. And then it cuts to Lamar and Franklin having this just like explicit conversation and that just continues for like the first 20 minutes of the game is just you going around with Lamar and Franklin who Lamar is one of the most ridiculous characters ever and their banter is just obscene and explicit and comedic and I don't really think it's going for like a dark gritty like drama sort of side. I suppose that's true like I think about the torture mission where where um, Trevor tortures the guy, and that's actually kind of the exception. I think that's more of the exception. Yeah, that's more yeah. the exception. The tone is actually fairly consistent now that I'm yeah, thinking about it. Yeah, it just is that kind of caustic, nihilistic yeah, tone. Yeah. It's more of like, wow, let's laugh at everything, which I think is really interesting looking at today. 
It's yeah. funny, you know, Maddie, you're talking about the HOA run by a motorcycle gang. Yeah. That makes me think this is also relates to the single player. One of the most interesting things in these games and specifically in this game is because everything in the game is designed to like emergently make breaking the law fun and engaging the systems are basically there to be broken that it's actually very interesting when people try not to break them and this was true in gta 4 as well gta 4 is still probably my favorite grand theft auto game that's a hot take i can back up when we do what's the deal with gta 4 down the road (laughs) yeah which we obviously i mean new york new york is the best city so it makes sense and i like Mm -hmm. i think it has a more serious story and especially the first maybe 30 percent of that story is very good but that's that is a topic for another show but i I, that's that game in particular really kind of I've always felt encouraged to follow the traffic laws and stop at stop signs because you can and some of that is because the simulation is so believable that it's just possible to roll with traffic it gets a little bit ridiculous but mostly you know cars follow traffic laws and you can just kind of drive around and in GTA 4 there's like you know GPS in your car sometimes it'll tell you where to turn and you can just follow that and it's kind of interesting that because the game makes it so enticing to break the law because when you break the law that's when the game springs into action that's when the cops show up that's when like stuff happens but that when you don't and you're like actually i'm just gonna i'm gonna live my life i'm gonna go for a walk if you've ever gone for a walk in first person in gta 5 one time i was gonna make a video of this and i didn't get all the way around but i just wanted to walk around the whole island which would have taken i mean hours and it's a fascinating experience because you're just walking and hearing people talk and hearing the birds chirping and the traffic going by and the radio coming out of a car experiencing that sound design like the world is so interesting that actually not engaging in those enticing systems is itself very enticing if you can kind of slow yourself down enough to do it yeah i mean i think that's more enticing than the system which is just cops show up and shoot you and then you have to shoot at them like there's nothing really interesting about well it's that. fun though i mean it's certainly it is fun. fun yeah um i don't know i spent a bunch of time playing tennis as michael against his wife today and it was just like super rewarding Man, i just played the a set and they were like too, bantering right. there's so yeah. much in this world that's one of the things when i mentioned before that a lot of this just still feels innovative and revolutionary i mean there's like unique dialogue that michael and his wife have where they talk about how they're marriage is falling apart but at least they still have tennis like as they're playing tennis together (laughs) or like something else I noticed which just blew my mind and I don't think I've seen this in any other game that's not a Rockstar game is that if you fail a mission which I I failed on this one mission there's an early mission where you have to go and and drive your Michael you have to drive with Franklin and you have to like drive next to a big truck with your yacht on it oh that's a nightmare that mission is a nightmare I failed that so many times that mission sucks yeah because Franklin is trying to climb out of the car. And so if you like even graze another car, he'll die. He'll fall out and mm-hmm. die. But anyway, so I failed on that mission a couple of times. And then I started to notice, wait a minute, the dialogue is changing because the game knows that I failed. And so it doesn't want me to have to repeat the same dialogue. And so it'll just be like a different version of the same kind of thing. And it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I've never seen that before. That's I think wild. that was an innovation in this game. I remember that mm-hmm. that impressing a lot of people when they were reviewing it. Yeah, And I mean... There are these little QOL things, like quality of life things like that, like the fact that there are checkpoints in missions because... Yeah, that's nice after... GTA 4 had some checkpoints, but if... I mean, anyone who's playing those re-releases of Vice City or San Andreas can remember dying in a gunfight 30 minutes into a mission and going all the way back to like before the drive to the gunfight, Uh before Uh the drive to the gunfight, before the gunfight where you died, like having to go so far back. So yeah, they were sort of gradually adding these little things like that. And also being able to switch protagonists at any time is wild. And that still has never been done in a game like yeah, this. Like that you, well, so Assassin's cool. Creed Syndicate, my uh, the my oh, hobby horse okay. for Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Sure. Another the underrated Assassin's Creed. That's game. true. But that's just two. That's just two characters, not three. Yeah, and it's um, not really quite the same, but it is still like, I, like I would, I'm surprised I don't see it more because open world games so lend themselves to bigger casts. Well, it's just so much. I mean, I just don't know if anybody has the kind of resources that Rockstar. I mean, thousands mm-hmm. of people are at Rockstar working on these games. I mean, something that like I remember this being a selling point with, with the game when they were they were marketing it before it came out, but it still blows my mind today, is that your characters will all like 
uh, quote unquote live their own lives when you're not playing as them. So you'll switch between them and they'll be somewhere else. Like sometimes you'll switch to Trevor and he'll just be like passed out and in, in a like naked in a, Very good an jokes, alley yeah, or something like times, that, which is amazing. Right. It's just mm-hmm. so there's so much good stuff to this game that um, I almost hesitate to be like, oh, this is a nihilistic piece of trash. You should you should forget about it today because there is a lot to like about it. And there's well, a I don't lot think of you really said fascinating. That, so. <laughs> that's yeah, well, that's true. Well, I guess I did not say that. Um, but I will say. I mean, Red Dead it's 2 is the better though. game. If you're yeah. going to play a Rockstar game to completion, Maddie, um, Red Dead 2 <laughs> is the way to go. But that's also a much more modern game, and it has really different things to say. I, I do feel like mm-hmm. there is something interesting about the fact that there hasn't been another GTA game since 5, and that mm-hmm. 5 is still... I mean, it's 10 years old almost, so just that in and of itself. Like, yeah, it's, a, it's an old game socially and culturally, and I don't know. I mean, I... I also feel like even at the time, that was just what everyone I knew who didn't play video games thought all video games were, were just these sort of playgrounds where you were a criminal and you could do whatever you wanted. And that was terrifying and awesome. And that's part of how I still think a lot of people see GTA, unfortunately, or perhaps it's perfectly fine with Rockstar that people see it this way. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I, but I, it, it then means though that I'm like, like, I don't know what GTA looks like if it's not an artifact of 10 or more years ago, because to me, that's what the association with it always is. I really don't know what the version of it is now that isn't a Gen X, nihilistic, South Park humor. Everybody's equal in, in the eyes of this particular humor styling, you know, like, what is that even? Yeah, well, I. Well, I mean, yeah, GTA 6 is another story. But to your point, by the way, um, this is here's something interesting. 2004, GTA San Andreas. 2005, um, Liberty City Stories and the Warriors. 2006, Bully. Uh, 2007, Manhunt 2. 2008, GTA 4. 2009, um, GTA Chinatown Wars. 2010, Red Dead Redemption. 2011, L.A. Noir. 2012, Max Payne 3. 2013, GTA 5. <laughs> 2000, 2018 Red Dead 2 and now nothing so mm-hmm. it's really fascinating Rockstar literally used to release a new game every single year granted they were publishing some of those like Ali Noir was made um, largely by a studio in Australia Team Bondi and not, not Rockstar proper but they had such a greater output until GTA 5, which um, I don't know what that means, but it says a lot. I mean, I think part of it and part of the reason, Maddie, to your point about not getting a new GTA in nine years, um, I think one of the reasons for that is that these games got so ambitious and so big and so um, the graphical fidelity grew so much that I think um, they needed all hands on deck and Red Dead 2, instead of just being like made in Rockstar San Diego the way the first game was, Red Dead 2 was all thousands, like 2,000 people, 3,000 people all around the world in Rockstar's different studios worked on that game. So, um, yeah, the the scope of these games has changed so drastically. But, yeah, no, it's a good question. Like, what would GTA 6 look like in a post-Trump world? Well, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's kind of a question about the, the writing and the story, which is a valid question in particular because anything that takes a long time to write is is hard to write to the moment and mm. comedy in particular and satire in particular maybe even mm-hmm. among types of comedy is extremely tuned to the moment so when you're making a game that takes even if they didn't start development until a few years ago a few years it'll already feel out of date like if i'm hearing nasty woman and trump jokes in a video game that i play in 2024 i'm just gonna be right. like oh my god this feels ancient yep. though on the flip side such a big part of the appeal of these games is that technological magic, right? It's that that the technology of these games allows for the opacity that allows us to fill in the blanks in that certain way. Are you going to bring up EcoTag now? I'm going to bring <laughs> yeah, it up. When are we going to get to EcoTag? I was working up to it. So if we go to the EcoTag system, the popular <laughs> and widely adopted EcoTag system of open world <laughs> development, and we look at these open worlds through that lens. Uh-huh. Um, we I, I we talked about this some on our episode about open world games, but it is an emergent, opaque, and largely aesthetic world. Though I would say that GTA is closer to a gamey world because the driving and the ramping and the car chases are so interactive and fun and such a big mm-hmm. part of the experience that it's kind of like kind of in the middle. It's not just you walk around the world. But yeah, mm-hmm. they're they're emergent and that's part of the fun, and they're opaque. And it is that thing. We talked about this on that episode, but that feeling of like 
why did that thing that just happened happen? You know, why is this world like aware of me and calculating things in ways I don't understand? Because it doesn't mm-hmm. always tell you. And as a result, if we're looking out to GTA 6, that means they always need to be like super pushing the envelope technologically, which was true of GTA 5. That game still feels pretty wild, like the simulation level of that world Mm -hmm. compared to just about any other open world game until Red Dead 2, which also is just it's on a different level in a way that requires an absurd amount of work. And as we learned, and a crazy amount of crunch and like people to just throw their lives into this thing for years and years to make something so advanced, even though that's the labor required at this point with this level of technology we're working with to make an open world that has that magical feeling. And that's a th- I certainly feel much, much more ambivalent about that now than I would have nine years ago. Yeah, I'm curious about that ambivalence, but I do want to say that something that is so brilliant about, again, replaying the game just today is that when you're doing some of these chases, Um, sometimes some sort of sequence will happen, whether it's like a car cutting you off in just a certain way to make you both like both you and the person you're chasing, like have to turn left suddenly, um, or like a train drives by at just the right time, Mm -hmm. or like you feel like you're about to catch up with him and then he jumps off his bike or whatever, or like all these things that kind of feel organic and you're never really sure. I mean, I'm sure if you're a game designer, you can be like, oh, that's scripted. That's real. That's scripted. That's real. Mm. (laughs) Um, And I'm sure most of the time it's scripted, but it's so brilliantly crafted and that illusion is created to make you feel like all this stuff is organically happening because of the systems of the world even though they might be scripted for this given mission they just they just feel and i think that opacity is a big part of it um but what did you mean by your ambivalence about that kirk well it's this specific type of goal for an opaque you know, enticing world, it's that it's something that you'll always be chasing because it's so tied to like computational power and just a sheer level of, you know, items moving around and like things that you've designed and like complexity of the world. And that's like a constantly shifting goalpost because you're really just being amazed that they're pushing the envelope technologically, which is something that'll just always be more and more and more. Where, as we've discussed, there are like other types of video game opacity that are tied to things that are a little more just, you can just achieve them with cleverness and you can just make a game like Outer Wilds or a game like Elden Ring, where it takes a lot of work to make a game like Elden Ring. But what I'm so impressed by or so enticed by, rather, what pulls me along in that game. They're mysteries that people wrote and designed and created for me. It's not half driven by incredible technology that just took so much work and so long to make that eventually will feel out of date and will feel kind of old and won't, you know, won't be as impressive. It's it's so it's like a different kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's but I don't think that's the only thing that makes the opacity work here. Like, I think you could make a game with the same technology bases GTA 5 today and it would still feel like opaque in that way that you're looking for it would still feel mysterious uh, and and delightful in some interesting ways right um, right right I think a large part of it well so okay so here's a theory and I think that that kind of the the Rockstar mission structure which has been very specific to Rockstar over the years even though so a lot of um a lot of open world games have taken from GTA over the years especially GTA 3 which kind of inspired many many generations of games to come um but one of the things that people in recent years have not taken is the mission setup of you start a mission and then you're only on that mission as opposed to the quest log setup of you can go around you talk to people there's a quest giver you get a quest from them you can do it at your leisure and as you're exploring you're gather you're doing things on a checklist whether it's like killing dinosaurs or collecting arrows or whatever um, that's happening like you're doing those things as you go and do other stuff as opposed to just focusing on one thing at a time And I think there's definitely like pros and cons to each approach, but I think part of that Rockstar magic comes from that type of mission design where like the game knows that you are only doing this mission and so it can create all sorts of things and throw all sorts of things at you because it knows where you'll be. Yeah, I think that those design ideas can be really cool and that there are a lot of really valuable lessons that I'm sure lots of people who make games have drawn from these games. My ambivalence is pretty specific to just the knowledge of the sheer amount of labor that it requires to create this specific kind of enticing mystery that these games do that no other game is able to do because no other game is made with this level of just sheer effort over years and years. And that's the thing where I'm like, well, it's cool. I mean, it's certainly amazing. 
but I feel more ambivalent about it now that I know just what's required to create it. And I also know that you can do a lot of the smart things that they're doing and do things that other games do as well and make really magical, amazing experiences mm. too. Mm. Yeah. Can we talk about Saints Row? <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> I I just before we stop talking about GTA, I don't have a transition. I just wanted to say I always like Saints Row better and it is itself a parody of GTA and I don't think it can exist without GTA. And it also You know that's an interesting is one. Is a game. Okay, so Saints Row, you create your own character, you could still be a criminal, you still wander the streets, you're still in an absurd world, but it's a game, the second one famously had the gender slider instead of the gender binary. It's something a lot of queer people talked about at the time and like since then in our post-cyberpunk 2077 world is still a conversation we have now. And that was pretty exciting then and I still think it's cool now. It is satirical and goofy in a different way. It picks its targets. The third one has jokes about the president that feel prescient in weird ways, pre-Trump. Mm -hmm. And that game's team felt like they took those jokes so far that they then would have to reboot the entire game, which they are doing somewhat controversially, and it's coming out this August. And I feel like that is the answer to my own question of how do you make a GTA in 2022? And maybe the answer is you completely start over and make something really different and it may or may not work and you just keep trying to start over again. I don't know if that's happening at Rockstar or not, but having read about the Saints Row process, I know they went through a similar ordeal of we tried to be more and more extreme. We tried to get funnier and goofier. And then eventually you go to the moon and like fight aliens and stuff. It's like all kinds of crazy shit happens. And you can't really go further than being the master of all space time. Like you can't, <laughs> you can't become more extreme <laughs> than that. Yeah. So where do you go? Maybe you just make sort of like a Borderlands game or something. And that is kind of sad. Right, eventually you become a musical. <laughs> so I played the first Saints Row game, and I do, I've played that whole series. I think I, I mostly missed Get Out of Hell or whatever it was called, the one that was a musical. I did play yeah. a little bit of 4 where you're a superhero. That's more like Crackdown. I think that trajectory is super interesting in that that series is in conversation with GTA in a way that's useful to talk about when talking about GTA. Because the first Saints Row game, not very funny. No. It was basically just... It, I, was, I, had, I had an Xbox 360, and GTA 4 wasn't out yet, and mm-hmm. I wanted to play that style of game, and I, and I was playing you know, San Andreas on an you know, original Xbox disc just because that was what I had and so I wanted to play something made for this 360 so it just had slightly better graphics but it was nowhere close to as interesting it was it's a pretty dull game mm-hmm. and I think it's it's fascinating watching writers and a creative team basically have to differentiate themselves from something like GTA and then when GTA 4 came out they were like oh okay they're going more grounded and realistic well we're gonna go totally in the opposite direction and then you can watch that series as you said um, climb toward being the ultimate master of space time starring in a musical video game <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, Maddie. I mean, to answer your question, I don't think GTA Six is was ever going to be like we're going to go even more extreme. Like that's right. never been what Rockstar did with this series. And to Kirk, like Kirk said, GTA Four was a little more grounded, and GTA Five was really the one that pushed pushed. I I don't know. It might even be more cynical and satirical than GTA Three and any of the original ones. Like I think GTA Five really pushed pushed the boundaries the most out of anyone any of them in the series. It definitely felt like kind of a reaction to fan reaction to GTA Four, which was seen. Right, as overly is, serious, serious by people yeah, they're like more about, silliness yeah. you know you can actually see that even in four if you play like the ballad of gay tony like the dlc yeah. for four especially yeah, that one the second dlc became kind of more larger than life you're driving a tank finally you know it's getting wild yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um I have a little bit of insight on GTA 6, but but nothing I can share right now. But I do think that it's worth noting that... <sighs> Such a tease. Well, I mean, I have to save some stuff. No, no, that's my, fine. For that's Bloomberg, fine. You have a my job. My bosses will get mad at me. But I will say that like, there's some stuff that has been publicized, one of which being that Dan Hauser, who was the lead writer on uh, GTA 5 and many of Rockstar's other games, is no longer at the company. Um, Leslie Benzies, who is one of the top producers on GTA 5, is no longer with the company. Laszlo Jones, another key figure in the Rockstar inner circle and, and a writer on, on GTA 5, no longer with the company. So there are a lot of there's been a lot of change um, in the upper inner circle, upper management of Rockstar games, which I have no doubt will change that which will impact the the future of their games and GTA 6 like I think it'll feel different even just 
because of that alone, Dan Hauser is no longer there. That's a huge friggin' deal for this company. Like this was one of Dan, the Hauser brothers, of course, founded Rockstar and had pretty key roles in every single game right. they made up until now. Um, and yeah, the other thing is, I think that there is a way, and this is not like I'm not hinting at what GTA Six will be or anything, but there are ways to make like really good satire in the post-Trump world. And the thing that I always think of is Succession, which is like such a good like True. way to do mm. biting comedy, absurd satirical comedy um, in in the modern time. So in GTA Six, will be the true criminals, venture capitalists. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That'd billions, billions. The the, <laughs> the video game. Right. Um, no, but I do think. I mean, I think there are ways to do it, and then also it doesn't have to be a satire. Like it could just be like a, a crime story in Miami with like a fun, with some fun humor in addition to that, and fun characters. And there's so many ways they could go with it that I'm not that worried. And I just don't think that it'll really be the same sort of nihilistic humor that is in GTA V because it just doesn't feel like like it would just feel so tone deaf today that I just don't think they're going to do that. It's interesting. I mean, certainly knowing that there will just be a probably very different team of people writing it. It could yeah. be just about anything. And there have been so many open world games. I mean, I should yeah. say open world crime city games like in this style since 2013. Like Mafia 3 is an example of one tone you can kind of go for. And then, of course, Red Dead 2, different game in some ways. And Red Dead Redemption itself was very different from GTA 4. But still, like there are all kinds of different things they could do. And knowing Rockstar, if nothing else, I mean, it'll be... A very interesting game when it comes out. It will be, yeah. I mean, that's no doubt. Not to mention the online portion and like that. Sure. Well, is it going to explode the way GTA, like GTA Online too? If it's built for it, if like the infrastructure is there from the start, that would be a huge advantage over GTA Five, since they had to kind of build the train while it was on the tracks. You know, Man, oh, yeah. it's going to be fascinating. I will say also, replaying GTA Five made me want to go back and replay G- Red Dead Two, which is such a masterpiece of a game. God, that game is such a like triumphant accomplishment it's fascinating and wild and um uh, part of it is a personal preference thing just because i don't love driving in video games and i just don't enjoy it that much and i you do love it. driving in real life though that's interesting i you do, do that's really true. like driving that's true maybe that's oh. why i don't like it in video games because right, you're encouraged right. to be because i'm a pretty conservative driver and you're encouraged mm. to be reckless when you drive <laughs> in video games maybe that's part of it um but yeah but red dead i just like the atmosphere and tone much much better and especially red dead 2 which i think just like really pushed the the like just raise the bar in a lot of ways and so uh yeah i want to go want to go replay that i'm not super interested in continuing to play much more of gta 5 i think i've had my fill of this game (laughs) but uh but would definitely replay red dead 2 at some point in the near future nice um, okay, cool. Well, so that is what the deal is with Grand Theft Auto Five. Um, yeah. I'm not sure we can. No, none of us have really spent enough time with GTA Online to like really put our finger on the pulse of of why this game has sold 160 million copies. Yeah, the um, Reed Cast Marshall's coverage of Polygon. It's you know? those motorcycle gangs. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. all motorcycle gang HOA really gangs and role playing experiences <laughs> and that really yeah, is man, the answer. It's I so think. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's and and I bet there are tons of people out there who only play GTA Online, and that's sounds like their pretty sole fun. Game, <laughs> like, yeah, no, totally. I mean, hey, if if it's all for you, um, I will say that like to only play a game like that, the controls are so clunky that um, I don't know. I feel like you're missing out on like other better mm. video games. Get used to it, way. probably. But yeah, yeah, I get. I guess you do get used. That's to That's definitely it. one reason I don't really play it. Yeah, I mean, like I, I don't know. Uh, all of us have spent ample time with destiny over the years and that's a game that like at least when you're spending hundreds of hours of your life in that game it feels really good to, mm-hmm. to so you know what you know it. what destiny 2 does not have is motorcycle gang hoas that is a that's great true point. More shark cards it does not it have should shark have cards. it should have it's more true. opportunities for role play that would really help destiny it too, should to be all honest. games should all games i started should. saying that as a joke but now i think i'm right and mm-hmm. that i mean should do that a lot of true statements go that route <laughs> for sure just like gta is it a joke is, <laughs> is it, it real would you go back to destiny if it had more role-playing experiences i don't know but i will <laughs> say that the only reason why i got so into destiny was because i was playing it while on J- discord chatting with my friends that was what right. kept me coming back over and over again and if we were all also role-playing as like guardians who were in a skateboard club or something at the same time then i can't <laughs> see why that wouldn't keep me coming that back that is certainly incredible. that is certainly a key part of 
an online experience. And I wouldn't even be surprised. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I I wouldn't even be surprised if GTA 6 did the wildly unpopular thing of just being an online only game, like a Fortnite-esque, like role play Mm. forward, free to play. Um, And and it's a mobile game. I'm going to throw that on the top of there. (laughs) Can you imagine Uh, the internet? It'd be great. Rest assured, it is not. It is not that i don't know i i just feel like it's a good idea but Um, i'm not in charge okay cool all right why don't we take a break and then we will be back with one more thing hi i'm jesse thorne the founder of maximum fun and i have a special announcement i'm no longer embarrassed by my brother my brother and me you know for years each new episode of this supposed advice show was a fresh insult a depraved jumble of erection jokes, ghost humor, and frankly, this is for the best, very little actionable advice. But now, as they enter their twilight years, I'm as surprised as anyone to admit that it's gotten kind of good. Justin, Travis, and Griffin's witticisms are more refined, like a humor column in a fancy magazine. And they hardly ever say Bazinga anymore. So, After you've completely finished listening to every single one of all of our other shows, why not join the McElroy Brothers every week for My Brother, My Brother and Me. Maximum Fun is a network by and for cool, popular people. But did you know it also has an offering designed to appeal to nerds? A show for nerds? On Maximum Fun? The devil, you say? It's true! It's called The Greatest Generation, and they review episodes of a television program for nerds called Star Trek. They've reviewed TNG, DS9, and are now reviewing Voyager. Hey, Star Trek. My daughter enjoys that program. Well, if she enjoys that, and she enjoys humor of the flatulent variety, might I recommend she subscribe to The Greatest Generation? Hey, are you calling my kid a nerd? Why, I oughta... Well, gotta go! Become a friend of DeSoto by subscribing to The Greatest Generation on MaximumFun.org today! And we are back, Kirk, Maddie. I just want to say I'm proud of you both, uh, all of us, all three of us, that we did not once mention Elden Ring in the first 45 Shh, minutes of this. What are you talking this, about? You just, you, just, um, you just broke the Elden Ring we code. We were doing so well. Bing. Kirk from the future here as I edit this episode. I just want to say for the record that I did mention Elden Ring once. So, you know, we can just pretend that I didn't. Okay, back to the show. Bing. Well, the reason I bring it up is, well, I'll, I'll get to that when I get to my one more thing. Um <laughs> Kirk, why don't you go first? What's your one more thing? Okay. I'm actually, I was going to mention Elden Ring in my one more thing, too. Oh, okay. There you go. So was I. No. Because <laughs> I'm traveling fine. and I can't play Elden Ring. So I'm, I'm traveling and I don't have a Steam Deck, unlike Jason Schreier, so I can't play Elden Ring, which is maybe for the best, because it's been nice uh, taking a break from that game and just watching conversation and getting sort of excited to play it again when I get home. Um, my one more thing is the new Pixar movie, Turning Red which I just watched and um, and really loved. Uh, I, I, it made me realize that I haven't loved the last few Pixar movies. What's the one called? Onward, the sort of fantasy mm-hmm. movie. And then Soul was another one. Soul, I've become much more mixed on over time. It was an interesting one. I liked it. It had like the right pieces in some places, but it just yeah, sort of felt I like... Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, it was two movies mashed into one. It should have mm-hmm. just been one movie. Just a movie about a jazz piano player, please. That's yeah. what I want. Um, and, uh, and also Luca, I started that one and was like, this seems nice, and I've heard it's a nice movie, but it's just sort of a different kind of vibe. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, Onward really felt just kind of almost like a DreamWorks movie to me. Which I do kind of mean as a diss. It just was like, this just wow. feels like a, or like an imitation of a Pixar movie a little. So I was just realizing, oh, like it used to be when a new Pixar movie came out, I was like, there, I would watch it mm-hmm. the minute I could and be so excited. And that's faded for me a little bit. Um, and this movie, I saw the good reviews of it and I went and watched it. And it's really, really good. Um, it is the story of, it's basically Teen Wolf. So if you've seen Teen Wolf, and um, it is the story of a Chinese, a Chinese Canadian immigrant. She lives in Toronto, uh, I guess, second generation. And it's a very much a sort of immigrant, ch- children of immigrants dealing with their parents kind of a story. Familiar if you've seen a few different, you know, popular movies over the last few years, and just a really kind of specific and lovely story about you know, finding yourself and becoming who you want to be and also a kind of great metaphor for puberty and Mm -hmm. even um, for having your first period, which is 
explicitly mentioned in the movie in a way that I'd never really heard in a movie like this that I that I thought was uh, really cool too. And yeah, I, I don't have a ton of deep thoughts about it, but I do think having grown up in an age when Teen Wolf came out and now seeing a new movie that is also about a teenager discovering a family curse that turns them into a wonderful animal that then leads to red them. Red panda, I think. Yes, in this case, the best red panda. So cute. And just so <laughs> cute. And it's just a very funny movie with its own vibe. It reminds me a bit of Penn 15. It's set in the year 2002. So mm. it's very much that sort of just after I got out of high school. There's Tamagotchis. There's a, a very, very funny boy band. Um, the music is all by Billie Eilish and her brother Phineas, which is pretty cool. Um, the score is by Ludwig Juransson. It's got a lot of like quality, quality talent in there. And it was directed by Domi Shi, who I believe is the first woman to direct, uh, sol- solo direct a Pixar movie, which is very cool as well. And it, it just... Really good movie. Liked Turning Red. It's just on Disney+. Plus. You can just watch nice. it. It's one of those ones yeah. they just put right out. I'm really out. looking forward to this one. It's good. I've it's heard a, great things. It's a good one. I really liked it. Um, Maddie, what's your one more thing? Okay. So I've been taking a break from Elden Ring also uh, completely voluntarily. In just... solidarity with me. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Thank no, you, you're Maddie. right. I'm doing it. <laughs> if Kirk can't Kirk... play. <laughs> <laughs> if Kirk can't play, I'll never play. Right. Uh, yeah. It was very political. Um, so I'm playing Horizon <laughs> Forbidden West. And... Um, I think I want to talk about the Las Vegas section of this game because mm. it's amazing. I'm I'm yeah. pretty up and down on this game overall, I would say. I'm I'm not as up as Kirk is, but I'll save all the spoilery reasons why for the Beans cast and Great, I uh-huh. will instead talk about my favorite part of the game, which I didn't reach until like 30 hours in and I was like I wish I'd gotten here sooner because I love every single one of these characters and I just want the game to be about them and I love everything I've done for them and I don't want to leave and yes. it's And so what an good. ending. What an ending to that little So vignette. poignant. I loved them. So uh, naturally um okay. So <laughs> they're all so happy. Oh man, seeing them all cheering and like getting so stoked <laughs> at the end. Yeah. So some of my complaints about Horizon Forbidden West have been, I haven't met very many characters who seem like real people. And these characters in the Las Vegas portion of the game seem so real to me and really act the way I feel like people would act, um, including like the goofy parts and also the more utilitarian parts. So they're a theater troupe, a traveling theater troupe. um, And one of them None of them are engineers, but as humans are wont to do, they're curious enough to want to try to experiment and like push the envelope, which is something that I wish I saw more characters doing in this game besides Aloy and a couple other exceptions. I just feel like mm-hmm. this is something many people naturally do. Like you work harder in the short term so you can be lazy in the long term, if you will, <laughs> in order to like come up with a cool tool that will help you out. And um, some characters do this, but uh, this is this storyline is like the epitome of that, where there's one character who's just trying to collect these cool devices that create um, projections, uh, visual projections, um, and he's obsessed with them. And despite not being an engineer per se, he's sort of like becomes one in order to invent a diving mask. And so he has all these wacky ideas about how to make one and his two cohorts, one of whom is like the financier of the theater troupe and one of whom is like sort of this old guard sort of Shakespearean actor type who just narrates everything Mm -hmm. they do hilariously. This is incredible baritone. I really enjoyed that. It could have been really corny and annoying, but I laughed out loud at pretty much everything he said and was super into it. Good writing. Good writing helps. It was great. It was great. Um, So when Aloy comes across them she and the engineer guy hit it off immediately because Aloy is an engineer as well or like she has an engineer's engineering brain and they create this diving mask together which of course you get to keep for the rest of the game and now I don't have to worry about breathing underwater anymore because I have this sick diving mask and I got to like do this really awesome underwater level can't believe I enjoyed an underwater level in a video game Mm -hmm. but I really did and it had stealth sections that I didn't think were that hard and like were largely just about (laughs) exploration and having a cool time fun audio logs just 10 out of 10 if you're gonna do an underwater level have stealth sections or you have to avoid giant fish and that's uh that's one way to do it Uh, that was cool see i mean the enemy design there is pretty cool and then of course you get to fight the enemies eventually but yeah yeah yeah. i really liked the big boss at the end i was like that was a fun boss fight like i don't know i just really liked it and it was very refreshing. Did you remember to slow down time this uh, this Yeah, time? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I've been slowing down time a lot. I love to slow down time 
in Horizon Forbidden West. And uh, yeah, I'm, I, I had a really good time with that whole section of the game. And if that were the entire game, I would have been like game of the year. <laughs> that was probably my favorite part of the whole game. And it was, I was played that as I was watching Station Eleven and they're both about oh, they're that. So, like, yeah, yeah. Just the idea that it was the first time in this very weird world, which we talked about in the episode, where like it's all these like strange single yeah. biome cultures and everyone is pretty much just like hunting robots or fighting each other to find people who are like, no, man, we want to entertain people. We want to tell stories. We want to make art, which is, of course, the whole point of Station Eleven. It's like, yeah, that's mm -hmm. what makes us people. We would probably spend more time doing that stuff than all this fighting it's just that video games are generally about fighting and not about like yeah. putting on plays and so it makes <laughs> sense that they build worlds where everybody wants to fight and not put on plays but I just love meeting these people who speak so with such inspiration about the beauty of storytelling and bringing people together and just getting to experience that was really wonderful fun mm -hmm. fact Suikoden 3 which we are not playing but the sequel to Suikoden 2 Suikoden 3 lets you put on plays like you have a theater troupe that you, <laughs> yeah, you okay. have in your castle Let's just and stick you can to put on plays Code and two, if you can. That Jason. sounds like something that a sweet coding game would do, but um, would I like it? Who can say? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, some of the plays are about events that happened in Sweet Code and two and Sweet Code and one. Anyway, um, my one more thing is a game. So I also am no longer playing Elden Ring. That's because I finished it. I have finished. You Elden are the Ring. Elden Lord. I am the Elden Lord. I mean, you are the Elden Ring. Congratulations! Yeah, you beat it. After saying last week that you were getting tired of it, you have well, beaten Elden so, Ring. Yes. No, no so, don't talk about this. I'm sorry, I brought it up. Go no, ahead, well, I was just thing. gonna say. I was just gonna say. I'm not gonna harp on this, but I was just gonna say the last week because of our buddy Mike, we were a little concerned about a difficulty spike. But I will say, I did not run into any difficulty spike, and I did all the optional stuff and optional. I mean, you are the stuff. true Elden Lord, also. Mm -hmm. so that it's true. I also found that. a build that pretty much broke the game. But anyway, <laughs> my one more thing is another game I've been playing, which is a game called Triangle Strategy, which is kind of an under the radar game. Came out for the Switch a couple yeah. of weeks ago. I have this installed. It is a strategy RPG. It's kind of in the vein of Final Fantasy Tactics or more really like Tactics Ogre, um, which is a similar game but has some enough differences. Um, most notably, the biggest difference between this and Tactics Ogre and Final Fantasy Tactics is that there's no um, like waiting for casting spells in Tactics. You have to, you cast a spell and you have to like right, wait you for it to go for through. And this, there's no waiting, you just do things. But anyway, this game rules. I really, really like it. And, oh, okay. Um, it's better than I expected it to be because I was really underwhelmed by Octopath Traveler, which is the last of the, the the last game in this kind of like 2D HD style that that Square and Nintendo have been putting out. Um so one of the interesting things about this game is that there's a ton of talking and a ton of like political machinations. And what I didn't realize is that a lot of the game is actually based around branching narratives. And so throughout the course of the game, pretty much every chapter, every other chapter um, of it's like based in divided into like, I don't know, 20 chapters or something like that. Um, you have to make a choice and the choice can be something basic like, hey, are we going to go to this town or are we going to go to this town? Or it can be something that's like heart wrenching and you have no idea what to do. Like, are we going to sacrifice the li life of this one person for the, the greater good to prevent the deaths of all these other people? That sort of thing. Right. Um, so are you on a trolley when you make that decision? You are on a trolley. And then and you're to, pulling a lever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. To, uh, to like make these as these decisions unfold you can't just make the decision yourself you have to convince your entire team of advisors to go one way or another and you do that through these like branching conversations with each person where you have to like really convince them to see what you're thinking and sometimes it's hard like I've actually made a decision that I didn't want to make because I couldn't convince enough people to like see it my way um, and then you kind of like watch the story unfold as a result that for, of, of those decisions um, from what I gather there are multiple endings and you have to like do a new game plus if you want to go back and see like try to find the path to the correct ending um and it's actually there's a lot more talking than there are battle scenes there's only like one battle per chapter so it's more of like it's almost like it's like a visual novel hybrid hmm. strategy rpg more so than just like a traditional strategy rpg and i really like it the story is really good um, oh that's nice to hear yeah, it's really fascinating. The main character is kind of like a blah, wooden, Mary Sue, like super boring, like goody two-shoes type. But some of the other characters are really interesting. And the story <laughs> as a whole is just like, it's really good, like Game of thrones -y, like political machination stuff that I just really enjoy. Maybe and George so, R. R. Martin chipped in on this one. Yeah, well. he, he contributed. Yeah, <laughs> That's the hot new thing story. to do in video game development. Yeah, he's been just doing anything he can to get anything out of Anything that's yeah. not <laughs> Lindsay. Yeah. yeah, anything. Like, please let me, let me write 
quit your game. <laughs> Did you see his blog post the other day? It was like, here are the 4,000 projects I'm working on that are not Winds of Winter. It was George. so funny. Um, <laughs> Did it end with like a gif of him middle fingering the camera? I hope so. It's really cool. And then, so I almost, I wish there were more battles because the battle system is so good and like it's so fun and the strategy is really, really good. And if you're into like the, the tactics ogre model of grid-based um, like gameplay where you like move characters around and um, a lot of people out there probably played Fire Emblem. This is a little bit different because you're on a 3D grid instead of like a big two-dimensional grid. Um, so it has a very different vibe. But um, similar concept, like turn-based strategy, like location is important. Um, and yeah, it's really good. I, I'm just really, really enjoying it. Um, I'm hoping to finish in the next couple of weeks. Maybe when I go to San Francisco next week, I'll finish on the plane or something. But yeah, Triangle Strategy, good game. Yeah, I'm looking forward to checking it out. I'll, I'll talk about it on the definitely, show. You should definitely check it out. Yeah. Nice. Um, cool. That is it for this week's episode. Um, we will see you see you in Los Santos uh, down the road. San Andreas. <laughs> Farewell, San Andreas. And yeah, see you both next week. All right. See you both next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.